You are listening to the Lesson She Learned podcast, produced by the Base Agency and hosted by Zania Blue. This podcast is the place where we stop and reflect on the lessons we are learning in life and business. What can I say? It's the messy and the majestic process of growing through your business's awkward phase. Get comfortable as we dive into today's episode. Yo, I want to talk. And what I want to talk about today, I think that there is... I think that there's a right answer and a wrong answer for this conversation. I think the context will vary. But to the question, is it okay for you to do less? I'm going to say yes. Now, this is coming from a person who has always had this They've always had some ambition, but it's facilitated between healthy ambition and selfish ambition. This is coming from a person who will look at something that is already hard and go, I would win even if this were harder. This is coming from a person who has let their ego allow them to work themselves in the ground just to say that I could survive it. This is coming from a person who used to struggle with strong black woman syndrome before she learned how to ask for help. Is it okay for you to do less? Yes. Now you might be saying tonight, in what context are we talking about? Because there are so many reasons for me to not do less. And actually, maybe I need to do more. Maybe. <laughs> but in this conversation, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna polarize it by talking about business specifically or by talking about um life specifically. If the question is, is it okay? The answer is Yes, it's okay. There are so many situations and so many scenarios where caveats might expose themselves and we might be tempted to give a new answer to this question. I am, I'm pretty steady in my answer of whether or not it's okay to do less and say yes. For, and we're going to go through a few of the, those reasons together. So you might be saying, Zanai, where is this conversation coming from? You know, the last couple of episodes have been, you know, with business tycoons. And we've been talking about productivity, all these things. <laughs> and that's true. Um, but there are so many environments in which doing less was appropriate. And is appropriate and will continue to be appropriate in certain situations. And if you have to ask if it's okay, more likely than not, you need it to be okay because you asking. But I'm gonna I want us to take a step back. <laughs> I want us I want us to to kind of think about this in this way. So the reason the silent series happened was because I realized I could go fast and crash into a wall, whether that wall be 
uh, my abilities, whether that wall is my clarity, whether that wall is uh, feeling inspired, whether that wall uh, is just having the confidence to move and to speak with authority. I could move fast and not handle those areas, but I would crash. And to get those spaces or those areas under control, I had to decide to walk in a world where people are running. And I had to decide that for my physical health, for my mental health, and for my financial health, for a season of my life, a season that was, was and is even longer than I thought it would be, I would need to walk. And in that walking, find out, you know what? This is a super sustainable pace for me. What systems can I create so that I can move like time? Never too fast, never too slow. The pace of time is consistent. We look at it grouped in different segments and we call it fast, but it is standard. If I was to move like time and not stop moving, what kind of systems would I have in place? It was and still is okay for me to do less in a, in a, in a overall sense of doing less. Because a lot of the times we can slow down so we can speed up. Or we could slow down to make better progress, to make better decisions, um, and to be more thoughtful about the way we're doing those things. And so that's like in a super regular slow down and speed up kind of way, if you want to think about it that way. But I want to think about it in a different way today. And there's a reason for this. So there are two things or two two words, Not maybe not words, maybe words isn't. <laughs> the most appropriate fit. There are two scriptures that I read that made me think about this. And I don't know, I don't know what it was, but after I read them, I thought about them and I was like, hmm, that's, that makes sense. I, I, I like that. Sometimes I don't, I, sometimes I could do a deep study on something I read. And then sometimes I read uh, something out of the Bible and I, and my primary response is like, quite literally facts like like bed like of course um and you know every day ain't deep like it's fine <laughs> um I don't need a tingly sensation to know that you know I read and I studied and I cared to know um you know what the text says and what the text is telling me about who God is but there are two scriptures and I'm gonna read them both right now you know because Personally, if I'm listening to something and somebody tell me there's two of something, I'm going to be at the edge of my seat until you tell me the second thing. So I'm just going <laughs> to, just in case you're me, I'm going to say them both. So the first one says, haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous? That is Joshua 1 verse 9. The second, the second scripture says, he who called you will help you. Now, I, I read those and I was in, in the situation or in my context, I'm going to, I'm going to let y'all know right now. Sometimes when you look at a scripture and you pull it out of its context, the, the, (laughs) the, the beauty, 
the value, the wisdom, the depth um, gets lost sometimes if you cannot paint the picture of the context in which it originated. And sometimes without the without the anchor of the story, it's hard to walk away with the full depth and the full majesty of what's being said. And sometimes it's also even harder to take something like that out of the context and still see God. The thing about it is, I have been pulling scriptures out of text to bring them up in conversation. I used to have like way, way, way back in the day. I used to have this faith-based blog and I would like just talk about life. <laughs> look, at, look at how much has changed. Um, but just talk about life and just look at how I could find a really cool perspective that is related to a story or a conversation or a lesson being broken down in the Bible. And one of the things that I realized shortly after starting that blog was that I was going to have to do a better study I was going to have to pay closer attention to not just what I wanted to say, but what the text actually says. Um, if you are a studier of the text, you you know, or you might have been exposed to two terms, exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis um, is when you are looking in the text to see, to understand what the context of the text is talking about so that you can have an adequate or appropriate interpretation of what the Bible is saying because it's not hard. I would go as far as to say it is very easy to see something, know what you was trying to say anyway, and be like, close enough. And then start having a conversation like you like you are a scholar when in reality you are a skimmer and, and you just want to, you know, prove your point home and just use some sort of biblical text to, you know, embolden your point. But no matter where you stand in the conversation, no matter what point you're trying to prove or what thing you're trying to acknowledge, it's always healthy to find or to look at not just what you want to pull out, but what is actually already going on before you want to put your hands on the text What's happening before you touch it? What environment was it in before you started to have this conversation? And so I kept those things in mind, even as I you know, thought to pull them out for this conversation, because one of the reasons I paused my lovely, lovely blog, which had the world's longest name, I called it KYTT Daily, um, but it, it was the long version of that name was like kept yesterday, today, tomorrow from a, Hebrew, a scripture in Hebrews. But it was like, you know, blogging 101, have a domain that people can remember. <laughs> so, um, so there was that. And the challenge I had was because I wanted to keep up with the flow of content that I committed myself to, and because I actually had some readership, I wanted to create content regularly, but I wasn't inspired regularly and I wasn't studying regularly to have regular revelation. So sometimes I was making the very mistake that I'm warning us all about, you know, even now, because um, we just talked about what exegesis is. You read the text, you read it in the context and you're making sure that the point that you intend to make is actually the conversation that they're having in the text. If you take something out of context and you try to apply it to another situation, 
even if you think it's apples to apples, it's possible that it's apples to oranges. And it doesn't mean what you think it means because it's not just a, there, the, the language barrier, even in translation, sometimes requires that you refer to the context. Even the words we use that are similar are not necessarily what was explicitly intended. The translation is the best words we have in our language, but sometimes our best words require more than one word. And to, to keep it concise, they chose the word they chose, but sometimes it, it pays to, you know, look a little bit deeper. And so what we're avoiding is eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you are putting things on top of the text that the text doesn't actually say, saying things that the text isn't actually saying, saying that it means things that it actually doesn't because you're putting your own perspective or your own purview on top of a conversation that's happening or some passage is happening in the Bible that just isn't consistent with the context. And so the goal always is to avoid eisegesis and to dive um, as much as we can into exegesis when we're talking about the text or when I bring up scripture on this podcast. Um, and so let's start with the Joshua scripture. Haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous? This is God talking to Joshua. Joshua is... Um, the person who is being trusted to be a leader after Moses has led. Moses is pa- Moses has passed the torch. At this point, he has died. Um, and it is Joshua's responsibility to take the Israelites f- from the wilderness, where they were, where they traveled after slavery, from the wilderness with Moses, into the promised land with Joshua. And... This is happening in Joshua 1. So when Joshua was first passed the torch. And this conversation or or this statement was said maybe maybe three or four times. I can't remember exactly, but I know that it was repeated multiple times. And I took note of the fact that something like this had to be repeated by God. And I I paid attention to a lot of different things when I read this, Um, but I'm going to be diving into one word. One word that I think is the focal point of this conversation um, that I think is still related to the topic we're talking about. Is it okay to do less? Um, And I'm aware of I'm aware of the context of this conversation being Joshua getting ready to step as up as a leader to do more, to do more. But before he gets instructions for what to do as a leader, what to do as a person who is transitioning the Israelites into the promised land, which has been given and having being given provision from God, but still having a tangible physical responsibility on earth. Before Joshua received a certain instruction on what to do, he was commanded to be. Haven't I commanded you be? One of the weird things about being is being is what exists before any action takes place. Being is who you are fundamentally. 
He was told to be strong and courageous. When I first read this, maybe a year ago in in a context in which I was studying and, and, and you know, not reading explicitly. Sometimes when I'm just reading, it don't all hit. But sometimes when I transition from reading to study, which is when I'm taking my time where I'm not rushing to the end of the chapter to say I read it, but I'm like slowly wading through the text, underlining underlining certain things, highlighting certain things, looking up different words, referring back to the context of that time and that age. I miss this because I thought I knew what it meant to have strength and I thought it, I knew what it meant to have courage, but I did not realize that I did not know. And I could tell now, today, that I did not know because I tried to will myself into having strength and being courageous. And as crazy as it might sound out loud right now, I didn't, I also didn't, this is kind of like a a slight detour. I also didn't know the difference between the practice of prayer and meditation and the practice of, of manifestation and that they're both spiritual practices, but that manifestation isn't explicitly, it isn't submitted to God, it is submitted to us and it makes us in control despite his will. And so when you decide that you're going to manifest something, you're not concerned with the preferred will of God. You're concerned with your preferred will by any means. And you can have, use, and apply the practice of manifestation to get what you need, but you don't get to decide whether or not it is good and in the preferred will of God for your life based on what you were supposed to, how you were supposed to grow, what you were supposed to have, or what else God had wanted for you in the short term and the long run or the long term. You just know that you have what you said you would have based on the fact that you solely who is only a person who has the vision of this current time and the in the circumstances you're aware of that is what you prefer that's what you're using to make your decision and that is what you are demanding um and it is a it is a power i would go as far as to say a a less than legitimate power in which you are using to get your desired experience or your desired materials but you can still have the authority to have those materials but you are possibly manipulating the timeline um, possibly manipulating the quality of experience because you don't know what else you need or you don't know what else it was preferred that you have before you got what you thought you wanted Um, and I'll leave that there for now Um, and so haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous? The reason I say what I said about not knowing what it meant to be strong and courageous is because at the time I was trying to manifest strength and courage. And I thought that I could do that by just repeating the words, writing the words down and trying to remind myself to be it as an activity. So I made being a doing, which is one of the reasons why it very much didn't work. Um, And so when I looked up strength or being strong, I found this definition, strong, alone alone to withstand great force or great pressure, showing determination 
self-control, and good judgment. Courageous. Brave, bold, daring, hardy to encounter difficulties and dangers. The struggle with trying to find within myself or will within myself or manifest within myself strength and courage is that said strength and said courage of which I I do not have enough, I have to now not only have, but I have to form it. I have to form something I do not have. I have to form something that is not under my uh that is not under my jurisdiction because if it was I would have had it I have to try to create something that I do not know obviously how it works but I also do not know how to attain it and so by any means I was just hoping that it might appear from my desperate desire and so what is so interesting and so special by any about anything that God commands us to do, he is not commanding us to do anything that requires us to take aggressive time apart from him. A lot of the things he calls and commands us to do require an intimacy and a relationship with him. And so when he says, haven't I commanded you? It's almost as if He is asking us to do something with which only he can give us in a way that doesn't pervert the value or the impact of what we're supposed to have. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Repeated over and over and over again. And I say that because, and I say that this was so powerful for me because it's very easy for me to succumb to cowardliness and fragility. And I was thinking maybe that's one of the reasons why this text resonates so well with me, but it's, it takes a different kind of effort to depend on God for strength and courage and to not need to perform it which is a doing, but to be it, being. I don't know that I'm articulating this as clearly as I would like to. I'm trying my best and I'm using the language that I have, but being, you could be still, you could be quiet and still be strong and courageous. I think the moment that I realized that this is something that this happens within me with it, with the help of God, with prayer, meditation and fasting and the reading of his word to get the revelation that I need in order to perform. In my sitting and in my being with him, I got the clarity that I needed on how to be strong and courageous. And I understood and I see even now The question that we started out with, is it okay to do less? Yes. Zanaya, why are you saying that even still? They're getting ready to go in the battle. They're getting ready to fight for territory that the Lord told them was theirs. Like, what do you mean it's okay to do less? They're getting ready to go and do more. See, but before they did more, they were being. Before they did, they had to be. How about this? When they weren't 
strong and courageous. Back in Exodus, God did not permit them to do anything. So when that generation of Israelites that had come out of slavery were sitting in the wilderness and talking about how they would rather be enslaved than be free in the wilderness. They were so afraid, so weak spiritually, so fragile, despite who was leading them and who was guiding them. God could not even trust them with doing because he knew, and it says it in the text, that they would fail and run away. Matter of factly, when Moses sent soldiers to go look out in the land and say, tell me what you see, they came back and were like, yo, those jokers is huge. They will squash us. Meanwhile, you had one, one soldier, I think his name was Caleb, one soldier who's like, I mean, like, I'm down. Like, if you with it, I'm with it. Like, let's move. But the majority of the soldiers that went, every other soldier that went was like, this is a bad idea. Because you had a generation of people who were not strong and courageous, that entire generation died to forget their cowardliness and fragility and produce another generation that would dare to be strong and courageous. This is how much it matters to God, our being. We can't even have the promise too soon because it might kill us if we are not strong in our being before we are leaning into our doing. Because here's the thing, the promised land was always promised to them. The promised land was always theirs. They had been promised the promised land and were aware of the promise. They spent 45 years in the wilderness, not because they didn't have a concept for doing. It was because the being that they were would never be able to sustain the weight of what had to be done. That is how important to God it is that you be. That is why it is dangerous. Dangerous to decide what you want right now must arrive in the next three months. It must arrive by the end of the year. It must arrive in quarter one. This is why it's dangerous to let your life be exclusively under your own dominion because you don't care nearly as much as God about your being, even if not being destroys you. Now, even though we like to look at it as being held back, being locked up, being, being, being jammed up, if doing will kill you before you become, before you get solid and stable in your being, do you still think that it is merciless for him to not submit to your preference of doing when you have not solidified your, your stability in your being? I mean, my God. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it a buck. This is revealing a lot to me about my whole life, too. <laughs> it's getting hot. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to the second verse. All right, bet. He who called you will help you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. I don't think I named it the first time. All of scripture, Old Testament or new, is going to have a conversation with you exposing to you who God is. That's the point. And if you read it long enough, if you read it close enough, even the things that look like it isn't talking about who God is will still be telling you who God is. And it will expose to us the consistency of his, of his presence, the consistency of his identity, and the continuity of his heart. Those are just things that are evident, Old Testament, New Testament. I know that there's a tendency or an inclination to look at different aspects of his character in both books. But I'm going to say right now, I dare you to find grace in the New Testament, and I, I mean in the Old Testament, and I promise you'll find it. You'll find it in Genesis. You'll find it if you read Genesis and you see that Adam and Eve weren't removed from the Garden of Eden because they were so sinful and could no longer be trusted. It was so that he could offer up a sacrifice in the first animal that shed it, that that whose blood had to be shed that covered them because that's a sacrifice we see black sacrifices all over the bible and we see that blood is shed and something dies which is why there is this uh motif of blood in the bible for redemption so you see that he makes the first sacrifice for them after their sin grace even though their immortality and their freedom in the garden is stripped from them, it is so that they do not live in eternity under the stain and shifted dominion that comes with living under the authority of sin. He didn't want us to be stuck and limited in our in our way of experiencing eternity because of the way that he created us and because a part of us is him he looks at us and sees himself but he also looks at us and cannot stand to see what we've done with who he is moving on but you'll see grace all over the place you if you just look, you got you got to look you got to you don't got to want to see it you got to be willing to see what's there let's move on so in the context of 1 Thessalonians, um, the conversation is telling believers to take seriously the word of the Lord and take heed to his instructions. And the focus is not on our doing exclusively, even though from this book, we can take a lot of instruction about what to do, how to carry ourselves and things of that nature. Like this regard um, was to our being, this, this, this conversation. 
So in our being with God, loving and graciously submitting, he who has called us will help us to live accordingly. But the beginning of that life is not exclusively in our doing. The doing is the consequence. Like, what's the clearest way for me to say this? I bet. So if I love... If I love Eden, for example, Eden is my daughter's name. If I love Eden, I love her before any action takes place outside of me. If I love her, and that is true, I love her before I move a muscle. I love her before she says thank you. I love her before either one of us can move or act. Now, if my love for her is true, my activity will be consistent with the meditations of my heart. And if the meditations of my heart are that I love her, my actions will expose the reality and the depth of my love for her. So when we're talking about living, and we're talking about a book that does a really good job at summarizing the just of what it looks like to live a Christ-centered life, that's, that's talking about the being first, that state that that is before you take any action, that being, the truth or the status of that being is exposed in your activity. That's the clearest way I could put it. That's, that's, the, that's as clear as I could see it. And so even when it's talking about all that you can do to, to continue to spread the word, to continue to share the gospel and things of that nature... And even here, it's affirming for us that he who called you will help you to do these things, these things that people see as rules, but are truly the evidence of a still place, of a quiet place of being. And so if we were to take the image of love and take it off of Eden and put it onto God, when he's talking about what it looks like to love well, he would know. When he's talking about what it looks like to love well, the evidence of that love, the evidence of the depth of that love, the evidence of how far that love will go is exposed in the activity. The activity is not a mandate for that love. It is an exposure to the health and the maturity of that love because whether you like it or not, you can always tell when a person is not loving you well, always. If a person is looking at you and saying, I love you, but in the same breath, they're also asking, how much harm can I do to you while you still believe that I love you, you go, that ain't love. That ain't love. That ain't real love. Because if you love me, you wouldn't harm me. Yeah, no, I do. But how much can you take of 
unloving activity before you no longer believe me when I say it. You would say, this is an unhealthy relationship. You and I don't need to be in a relationship. We don't need to be connected. Actually, we don't need to speak. We don't need to talk. We don't need, you don't need nothing from me and I don't need nothing from you. And you would say, they didn't know how to love me well. I know what good love is. I'm not settling for this, naturally. In this context, God tells you what it looks like to love well so you don't become content in loving poorly because he will always love you well. Nature. That is his nature. You can always read the Bible some more to find out more about his nature. And so... When he's talking about, and because he knows what it looks like to love well, when he says he who called you will help you with the exposure or the activity of quality love being shown and being held, he's not lying about that. He's not lying about anything. So, yes, that is the conversation. (laughs) Is it okay to do less What is my answer? A resounding yes. It is okay to do less, especially when you are concerned and focused on your being. After your being has been solidified, more often than not, you will have the freedom to move swiftly in your doing because your being can sustain the challenges, the force, the pressure, the determination that's required, the self-control that's required, the difficulties and the dangers that will be present in the doing. Is it okay to do less? Yes. When? When you are busy becoming. I had so much fun having this conversation with y'all. This was so good. Dang, this ministered to me. That's what's up. Good for us. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Um, I had a lot of fun recording it and just thinking creatively about different aspects of business and different lessons that we're all learning along the way if you enjoyed today's episode i would love to see like a quote or a snippet um that felt that you felt like really resonated with you um feel free to tag me on instagram at the base agency group um for shares and if you have any questions that you wanted to ask or if you have any topics that you would love to see broken down um or even love for us to kind of reflect on as like a case study we absolutely can and of course If you really enjoyed today's episode and you wanted to kind of take your love to the next level, uh, feel free to leave us a review, rate and review, because it helps people just like you who need tips just like these to go ahead and develop their business with clarity and confidence. And so feel free to support just in that way, leaving that review, leaving those stars, and we will see you next time.